Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. This week, we're talking about an animal that might have one of the weirdest head shapes in the animal kingdom, and I'm so excited because I got to sit down with Vital Heim, who is getting his PhD studying these creatures. So let's hop in our imaginary boat to talk about one of the most unique predators on Earth. Hammerhead Sharks. There are nine different hammerhead shark species, and they typically like to live in tropical ocean ecosystems. And obviously, their most defining characteristic is that oddly shaped head that they have, and we're going to talk about why it's shaped like this later on in the episode. But they have so many cool adaptations, and I can't wait for you to hear about them. Our guest today is Vital Heim, who is a researcher at the Bimini Field Station in the Bahamas, and he really knows his hammerheads. So before we start talking about these sharks, I wanted to know a little bit more about Vital and how he became interested in them. Yeah, I'm from Switzerland. Um, I'm currently working towards my PhD or my doctorate in zoology at the university in Basel in Switzerland, actually. So, um, yeah, as you know, like Switzerland doesn't have access to an ocean, um, <laughs> definitely not access to any sharks. So, yeah, my interest in sharks for some is a little bit like um, unexplainable or like how like a lot of people ask me how I got to it. And actually, like, for myself, I don't quite know why it started. Um, I just had a keen interest in sharks ever since I was very young. Like I would watch the, you know, the documentaries that aired on TV every now and then. Um, and when my kindergarten teacher asked me, like the classical kindergarten teacher question to the kindergarten kids, it's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I told her, like, well, I'd like to study sharks. Um, Actually, the books or the documentaries that got me into hammerheads. But when I was a kid, um, we had the Flipper, the dolphin TV show airing um, on Swiss TV. And then when the movie came out, I went to the movies with my parents and my um, brothers and my little sister. And I watched the movie and there is a scene where the main person of the movie is kind of like getting stalked or attacked by a hammerhead shark and rather than feeling like, well, the hammerhead is the will. And I was like, that's such a peculiar looking shark. Like it just, it struck me as something very, very fascinating. Um, and yeah, I never, never like thought that I would be able one day to actually study that particular species. So yeah, I've been very lucky in all kind of like little things coming together and then being lucky to yeah start projects working with hammerhead sharks. And yeah, it has been um, five years now studying hammerhead sharks. And it has been amazing. So that's awesome that you're kind of living out your childhood dream. And he's currently working on his PhD, studying hammerhead sharks and looking at some really cool stuff. 
PhD, my PhD has like two parts. Um, I'm mainly working with um, two out of the nine hammerhead species. So the scalloped hammerhead sharks and uh, great hammerhead sharks. And my PhD fieldwork is based in the Bahamas, but also in the US. So it has, like I said, those two parts. Um, in the first part of my PhD, I try to understand how great hammerhead sharks interact with um, stingrays in Bimini um, in the Bahamas to get a better understanding or to um, further our knowledge about what could potentially happen if we keep losing or keep removing um, large bodied apex predatory sharks, like what potential consequences that can have um, for an ecosystem, for the ecosystem dynamics. Um, and I try to assess that through looking at the interaction of those two species, but also said at the changes that happens in stingrays between the summer months and the winter months, because the great hammerhead sharks in Bimini, they're only present during the winter months. So once the water cools down, they start migrating down south. They will be around Bimini, around the Bahamas. And once the water warms back up, they will start migrating again and leave the island. Um, whereas the southern stingrays, they are around year-round. Later on, I said, we have hammerheads that are um, present in Bimini um, during the winter months, but once they leave, um, they go through U.S. waters. Um, and the thing is, in the Bahamas, there's a shark sanctuary, so all sharks are protected. But once they leave the Bahamas, they can potentially be fished um, again in the U.S. waters. So what we try to do with the second part of my Ph.D. is um, we're placing satellite tags on great and scalloped hammerheads, as I said, in the Bahamas, in the U.S., um, and see where they are going. So look at their regional um, horizontal movements and then combine that with fishery data. And they're using all of this data to see how to best help with the conservation of these sharks by closing down certain areas to fishing during different times of the year. And we're going to talk about their conservation later on in the episode. But first, let's get to talking about some characteristics of hammerheads. Like, what do they eat? For the great and scalloped hammerheads, the great hammerheads, they love stingrays. They love rays um, in general, not only stingrays, but they are known to eat rays and also other sharks. So there are records of um, great hammerhead sharks eating um, reef sharks. Um, every year um, when the black tip sharks migrate along the coast of um, Florida, you will normally see large schools of black tips being followed by one big hammerhead. Um, so like great hammerhead sharks even eat other sharks. Um, they also eat fish. Um, and obviously there's also like other prey items that are not as frequent, but can be consumed by the great hammerhead sharks too. For example, um, we had a hammerhead shark that we caught and tagged um, with a satellite tag and while we caught it kind of like threw up a piece of a lobster um, so we know they also seem to consume lobster um, in the Bahamas um, and then the scalloped hammerheads same like they eat fish um, they in their diet if you look at the literature they don't seem to eat um, rays as much but they eat um, fish crustaceans and cephalopods um, so I said the diet there is slightly different um, but like yeah there's um so there is a variety of items they eat. For the great hammerhead sharks, we definitely know that they do like rays a lot. It's really crazy that they can have such a diverse diet. Now, here's the question you probably all want to know. What's up with their weirdly shaped head? For the shape, so there are um, different advantages or like explanations or like um, reasons why that head shape could have evolved. So um, one thing is the sharks have um, 
what we call the ampullae of Lorenzini, which are um, small gelatinous filled um, pores, um, normally around their snout, around their head, and for the hammerheads, especially on the underside of their hammer. So with having that elongated and widely shaped head, they just, they have a very big area where they can place those um, ampullae. So they can have um, like a lot more ampullae than a shark, which has a more conical, conical head shape. Another thing that comes with a, such a wide head is they have the eyes at the very outside of the head. So now they have those um, eyes at the outside of the head. And here too, having the eyes placed like that basically gives them a nearly 360 degree of vision. So the um, that head shape also helps them with having an enhanced field of vision. And then um, same as with the eyes, they also have the, um, the nostrils or the, the um, nares at the very end of the head. So now thinking of us having like a super, super broad nose um, would be kind of like the directional smelling is a lot easier. They can very accurately pinpoint um, where a smell is coming from because there's a large um, distance between those, um, between the two um, nares. And the other thing that head helps with um, is that the head helps them to have like um, better maneuverability. So if you ever dove with hammerheads or um, observed them in the wild or even have been lucky to see them um, predate, for example, on stingrays, a, it's like a metal detector, like they come across the sand and they will scan the um, seafloor for potential prey. And then once they have a prey, their agility is amazing. Like they can literally turn on a dime. They're super fast, super agile. And all those like super tight turns, the head can help with the maneuverability. That's so cool. And you would never think that that large of a head would actually help them be more maneuverable. That's that's really cool. <laughs> Another interesting characteristic about their heads is that their mouths are placed underneath the head. How do they catch their prey like this? Vital has our answer. They are more designed to pick something up um, from underneath rather than manipulating something in the water column. They still can do it, but as I said, compared to other sharks that basically have the mouth on the front, um, they're more designed to pick stuff up from the floor. And with the head, um, for great hammerheads, it was also documented that they use the head to pin down prey. So they will swim above the prey, pin it down, and while they pin it down, they can take a bite out of it. Hammerheads just have so many unique characteristics that help them survive. No wonder they've been on Earth for millions of years. Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll continue with the interview and figure out if you should be afraid of them. The person that I want to recognize on this week's episode of Notable Figures in Science is Caroline Herschel, a German astronomer. She was born in 1750 and is widely considered the first ever female astronomer. After she had a successful singing career, she and her brother started to study what was beyond the sky. She then became the first woman to discover a comet. But she didn't just discover one comet. She discovered eight comets, 14 nebulae, and over 500 stars. And with her brother, she discovered many other stars, comets, and nebulae. Her brother also discovered the planet Uranus. This was at a time when women were not allowed to do most of the things that men were, and she was even the first woman to be granted a member of the Royal Society. She was so groundbreaking in so many different ways. If you want to learn more about Caroline Herschel or this series in general, 
check out onwildlife.org. Okay, welcome back. Now, hammerheads and pretty much all sharks have a bad reputation. I asked Vital if they're aggressive and if people should be afraid of them. Yeah, so as said as like I don't like per se, I don't think we have to be afraid of um, hammerhead sharks. Humans we tend to categorize things into more or less. With sharks, it's often more or less aggressive. Um, but I think like it would be better to categorize animals or I said um, sharks as more or less bold which means I said we might have sharks that are bolder that are bold enough to actually approach us to get close like there are many many sharks out there that are probably aware of us but we are not aware of them because they don't want to be that close to us um, and that's also where a shark's kind of like habitat or the habitat the shark lives in comes into play but also the shark's nature like we have apex predatory large body sharks that don't have any um, natural predators themselves or are even um, capable or actively taking out bigger prey species so if we swim or see a shark um, with that background that shark most likely will be old enough or will be um coming close and inspect us. Um, another thing that plays into um, how we interact with sharks or how the sharks interact with us in the water is where those sharks um, live. Like if we deal with a shark that lives in the pelagic zone, which is somewhat of an ocean desert, and you see a shark in the pelagic, that shark, every time the shark encounters something, it better goes and figures out what it is, if it is potential prey or not, because that shark never knows when there is another opportunity um, to punch it, potentially come across um, prey. So with the hammerheads I dove with, I've never had any adverse interaction with them. The cool thing in um, in Bimini, where I did a lot of my work with the hammerheads, is the water is super clear, but also we have sharks that come back every year. And it's not just sharks, but it's the same individuals that come back. So um, we developed an ID catalog where we can say like, um, or like we can distinguish between individuals so you can also like learn or attribute different characteristics to them and that plays into the more or less aggressive thing because like I said I've never had any shark um, any hammerhead shark acting aggressively towards me but I have sharks that are more timid more shy like we have a small female we call her Briseis like she is very shy she normally sticks like to the background if, if we swim with hammerheads um, and then you have like the larger sharks that will come close we have um, Gaia for example she is 3.39 meters long like a big shark, a very big girth, but we call her the gentle giant because she just, she comes close, like she does close passes, but is completely relaxed. And then on the other hand, we have, for example, Amphitrite, which used to be the longest great hammerhead shark we had in Bimini by now. There's uh, some bigger ones too, but she is, like I said, 3.48 meters, so the same size as Gaia, but she is completely different in her behaviors. Like she will come close, she will bump into you, she will run you over if you don't pay attention. And I said, I don't think that is particularly her being aggressive. It's just her having a different level of boldness, her interacting differently with um, objects like um, she sees in the water. It's so interesting that they have their own personalities. And it's important to note that these are wild animals, but we are definitely not on their menu. You might not think that it's a big deal to talk about this, but the way that everyday people see these animals can have a huge impact on their overall conservation. 
Normally, like if, if we hear about um, sharks, for example, in the media, it's normally because of a negative interaction between a person and the shark, and that just paints them as I said, I guess those um, as something negative, which I uh, said they aren't. Like there are so many interactions with sharks that are completely peaceful. And I said, as you said, like they get a bad reputation, but that is definitely something like once people realize that the bad reputation is not justified, that will help um, towards a better conservation for them. And are hammerheads more solitary animals or more social? It depends again on the species. Um, great hammerhead sharks, they're solitary. So they they migrate alone. Um, actually, we don't know where they go to mate. They have to mate somewhere. Um, we don't know yet where they go to um, to give birth. Um, I said those are potential sites where they there could be multiple of them. But normally, as we know, if you're lucky to see one, um, you normally see one. Um, scalloped hammerheads, um, on, on the contrary, they are very social. So they like create or aggregate in hundreds. Like they create those massive schools. Like for example, if you see pictures from Cocos Island, is a famous um, dive site where you see like hundreds and hundreds of scalloped hammerheads schooling together. So it depends a little bit on the species. So I said there are solitary and um, social species of hammerheads. So if you still aren't impressed by all of the cool adaptations that these animals have, you might want to listen to this. They can do something called parthenogenesis. Vital explained what that means. Parthenogenesis is a form of asexual reproduction. It's often also referred to as virgin birth because it basically leads to the um, forming and development of an embryo without actually fertilization through a sperm. Um, and it's well known from plants, um, insects, also some teleost fish do it. Um, so far, um, it was relatively unknown in sharks until recently. Um, they found some sharks are able to do it. Um, there is a um, paper from 2017, uh, 2007 um, where they found that um, bonnet heads, as I said, which is a species of hammerhead sharks, um, showed parthenogenesis in captivity. And ever since then, there are more reports of other sharks and rays doing it in captivity. And there is um, is one report of small to sawfish um, that showed parthenogenesis in the wild. So they can have babies without mating. That's something you're used to hearing about maybe plants or insects, but not sharks. These are all really interesting things. But it's also important to talk about how hammerhead populations are struggling right now. With the two species I work on, so the scalloped and the great hammerhead sharks, they're both um, labeled as critically endangered by the IUCN Red List. So that's globally. Um, I said, like, that's a global assessment. But within that global assessment, you will have different populations, um, like in different areas around the world, and the different stocks might do differently. But as a global um assessment, they are listed as critically endangered, which is the last stage before um, extinct in the wild. So I said there, there is a need um, to find ways to efficiently protect them and conserve them. Yeah, that's so sad. And wh- why, why are they critically endangered? There are several factors that can play into it. Um, so one is the fin trade. Um, unfortunately, I said hammerhead sharks um, are highly sought in the fin trade because they have um, huge dorsal fins. They have few, like large fins in general, so they, they price very high um, in the fin trade. Um, the thing with the fin trade is people tend to uh, like 
just point the finger at the fin trade, but that's actually only part of the story. Um, a big danger or a big risk or concern for hammerhead sharks is also the bycatch. So the commercial fisheries um, that might not even be targeting shark and will end up with, or can end up, um, not will end up, but can end up with catching things they don't actually want to or don't actually target. And that's a big risk for hammerhead sharks because hammerhead sharks are very, very sensitive to stress. So stress, they endure when you catch an animal, they go through a stress response. If you hook a shark, that shark goes through a stress response. Um, and during a stress response, um, the sharks build up, like I said, they will try to get away. They will um, exhaust themselves trying to swim away. And they will um, automatically kind of like deplete their energy resources. And it's the same as with us. If we go sprinting for a long time, at some point, our metabolism changes from aerobic to anaerobic. Um, and then we build a lactate, and it's the same in sharks, um, in that they start building up lactate. And during that stress response of trying to escape, if they're getting caught, and that lactate can actually reach levels um, where it can become deadly to the animal. So um, with hammerheads, they build up lactate very, very quickly, and that leads to them having a very high sensitivity um, towards the stress endured during a capture, that means the mortality of those sharks when they're caught is quite high um, just from the stress. And there is there is um, there are results out there that show that um, great and scalloped hammerheads in 90% of the um, cases um, are already dead when they are brought up, for example, on a long line. And then another thing, it's not only the commercial fisheries, it's also the recreational catch and release. Um, so there are a lot of people um, fishing for recreational reasons. Um, and here too, if you catch a hammerhead, they will stress out depending on the fight time on the line. Um, the stress danger might be too much and they die post-release. So the post-release um, mortality in great hammerhead sharks is pretty high too. Now we know that even if we release these sharks back into the water after accidentally catching them, it can still prove to be fatal. But why are they important to the ecosystems that they live in? So the, the great hammerhead sharks I'm looking at for that question, so that's a large-bodied um, shark species. And due to its, as I said, like to, due to its size, um, but also behavior, um, it is at the top of the food chain. So it's an apex predatory shark. Um, so if you look at an ecosystem, you have um, like so many different elements that play together. Like you have um, the primary producers that are at the, are at the very bottom um, or like in the food web at the lowest, lowest stage. And then like you will have like um, the mid, kind of like the primary consumers. And then you have, will have the middle consumers to some extent, like multiple. There are like a lot of species in there that fall into this category. And then you kind of like have the top level or the apex predatory um, consumers, which will be at the very top in that food web and have like a, the, ca um, the capability to exert a strong top-down regulation. Um, so they keep the lower levels in check, um, which ensures that the ecosystem, like the whole function, um, the ecosystem keeps functioning. Um, so it's like a lot of different puzzle stones. So if one gets out of control or gets reduced, that kind of like can impact the whole dynamic and can impact the whole um, stability of an ecosystem um, so like all those pieces play together and now if you think of just removing one so let's say remove the hammerheads from the top um, 
a middle layer consumer might then get out of control um, by not having any natural predator anymore. So it can increase in it can increase in numbers, which means that if a middle layer consumer increases number, its prey automatically experiences a higher pressure from that middle layer consumer, um, which can deplete then the lower level level consumer. And that's kind of like I said, it's what we call a trophic cascade. So that effect cascades through the whole ecosystem. Um, destabilizing the ecosystem, which can lead to the ecosystem not being able to function anymore, which can have um, like large consequences for, um, I said, the animals in the ecosystem, but also kind of like everything that depends on the functioning of that ecosystem. Um, so like, yeah, it's kind of like that removal of a top-down regulation that um, could have negative in, um, consequences for the ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. And it's important to know that like these ecosystems have been balanced for thousands, if not millions of years, and throwing off that balance can really uh, cause some huge impacts, definitely. Yeah. So obviously, they're, they're in need of help. So what can we do, like the average person do to help hammerhead sharks? So I think like a lot of things go back to um, like making sustainable choices, which obviously apply to a lot of things. Um, in, in everyday life but as I said we talked about the hammerheads being um, being caught or targeted for um, for their fins in the fin trade or for their meat so obviously one thing is don't consume um, shark meat or shark fins um, because that will decrease the demand but as I said that's again like only part of the story because um, what we definitely can do and what I think will have a big impact is make sustainable choices about what seafood we ate because of the bycatch risk for those um, animals. So um, I said there are methods out there that have a low bycatch risk um, compared to other methods that have a high bycatch risk. So um, one thing I kind of like go off is wherever I am, um, like it depends what I eat. So if I'm back home in Switzerland, I don't eat sea fish because I can't control where it's coming from. I can't really control how it was caught. Um, so like I just cut it out and that's something everybody can do. Like I said, I, it, I don't say like don't eat any fish anymore, but make sure that if you do want to consume fish, um, make sure that you know where it comes from. Make sure that you know how it was caught because then you can make the choice to go for um fish or seafood that was sustainably caught with um, low impacts um, through bycatch or on the environment and so on. So it's making those sustainable choices um, in what you eat. And then the third thing is there um, is research um, that shows that a lot of shark, um, shark products actually end up in our everyday life um, items like cosmetics, um, pet food. Um, there's a great paper from 2019 um, that found that found um, like shark um, products. I said in those everyday um, things, which like not many people are like are are aware of it. And that's the same thing. Like I said, make sure that whatever you buy, you know what's actually in there, um, and then make the right choice. So I said those are those are the things I think everybody can do. Um, which will have a big impact eventually. That interview was so interesting. Vital made me really appreciate these animals and all that they do for the ecosystems. Unfortunately, like he was saying, their populations are not doing well because of humans. Thankfully, there are some organizations that we can support that are helping sharks right now. 
you should first check out the Bimini Biological Field Station because they're doing some really important research on all types of sharks. You can also take a look at the Shark Trust and Saving the Blue. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of hammerhead sharks. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. You can also email us with any questions at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife and on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's On Wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray. On Wildlife provides general educational information on various topics as a public service, which should not be construed as professional, financial, real estate, tax, or legal advice. These are our personal opinions only. Please refer to our full disclaimer policy on our website for full details. 